0: Welcome to another episode of The Bandage Podcast, a weekly wrap-up of the most trending healthcare news. Each week, join me and my co-host, Alex Ross, as we'll discuss the latest in healthcare, health IT, and compliance. In this week's episode, we discuss healthcare violence in the workplace, smartwatches that detect overdoses, and burritos for healthcare workers. Let's wrap things up. This is episode 83 for the week of May 3rd. I'm Matt Moneypenny. And I'm Alex Ross. Before we get started, our diagnosis code of the week is 13.Y93.D, activities involved arts and crafts.
1: Interestingly enough, uh, this happened to me this week. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So as you know, I enjoy the arts and crafts a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I spend a lot of time drawing and coloring one of my favorite mediums is crayons though interestingly <laughs> enough or as or some might say crayons yeah um, and I, I just absolutely love them well it, you've probably heard the the stereotype of you know certain groups or or like professions being crayon eaters well mm-hmm. I, I figured why not give it a try
0: there has to be See what something all the hype's it, about <laughs>
1: right? this didn't just come out of nowhere. We didn't just make this up. Somebody was eating crayons, So yeah. I took a couple bites and uh, a couple more and a couple more than that, because really they, they taste pretty good. <laughs> if they didn't want you to eat them, why'd they make them taste so good? Um, mm-hmm. But all I can say is I, I did have to go get help because I was feeling pretty
0: blue inside. Right. One of my favorite colors for crayons was, Mac and cheese, just because Absolutely. I like the name. Absolutely, It wasn't that pretty of a color, but I mean, it sounds delicious, so I'm. I remember have tried that correctly.
1: Well. It was it was pretty light. It was hard to even see when coloring on the standard it, yeah. like uh, light brown coloring book paper. Mm-hmm.
0: I so. wonder if there's an Alfredo noodle
1: flavor. <laughs> if there isn't, there should be. I bet you that one tastes better <laughs> than blue. An Olive Garden
0: breadstick flavor or er, temperature <laughs> color. If they didn't want you to eat them, why'd they name them after food? Anyways, with that, let's get into the news. First up, we have doctors are the ones throwing the punches. Workplace violence in healthcare is a growing problem. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA, reported that from 2002 to 2013, incidents of serious workplace violence, those that requiring days off for the injured worker to recuperate were four times more common in healthcare than in private industry on average. Further, a recent study published in conjunction with the American College of Emergency Physicians or ACEP found that of the 3,500 plus emergency medicine physicians surveyed, 71% reported witnessing an assault, while a shocking 47% of physicians reported being physically assaulted themselves. 97% of physicians stated that the main source of these assaults was patients and 83% stated that a patient threatened to return to the facility to harm them. Definitely uh patients. Yeah. It's not really doctors throwing the punches. It's more like doctors throwing the punches out of self-defense. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I could certainly see it. Granted, I, yeah. I know a few doctors and, you know, right. I think that they would defend themselves or potentially even act offensively if they, they were, you know, upholding the right. Um mm-hmm. These are generally older doctors, though. I I'd <laughs> and I I have worked in a a workplace where the people we cared for could become physically violent, and it was kind of like a you got to be on your guard all the time. And and certainly healthcare is no different. Um, people who are are sick or suffering or in pain, um, a lot of that can get projected onto the people who are are caring for them, and so. I'm not surprised to see that assault is so common in the healthcare space, right? Right. It's like saying that assault uh, or, or people fighting you is common in law enforcement. It's Mm -hmm. obviously not a good thing. Obviously we don't want this to happen, but a lot of times it's kind of like, what can you do other than be prepared yourself, stay on guard and and take proper precautions to avoid getting into some kind of physical altercation
0: right yeah it's unfortunate that it happens because you know doctors main goal is to help patients but sometimes you get patients who are aggressive maybe you know maybe right. they just did a maybe they just had a crime and they got forced to go to the hospital because they were injured so they have cops around them and you know <laughs> that that patient acts out or you know maybe they weren't happy with the care that they received it's just like the unfortunate thing that could happen that doctors need to prepare themselves for as well, yeah. which is just yeah. like insane because they and, already have and, so and much to prepare for as it is.
1: Right. And you add on top of that people who are, are stuck in the hospital for days and, and they miss their friends, their family, they miss their freedom. And, you know, all of that frustration is is building up. And oftentimes they're going to blame whoever they can because they, they have to blame somebody. Yeah. And I'm not even saying it's entirely reasonable in a lot of cases. There are definitely a lot of these cases where people are experiencing the effects of their illness or the treatments that they're they're undergoing. And that's kind of what's what's causing them to either act more physically aggressive or, um, you know, do things that otherwise they probably wouldn't have. Right. Next up, smartwatch watches for overdoses. A California high school senior named Steve Dow has created a smartwatch to detect drug overdoses before they're fatal. The device uses a complex system of biosensors that Steve designed to monitor a user's body around the clock, detecting changes indicative of an overdose in measurements such as oxygen level, heart rate, and muscle movement. Steve came up with the idea for this smartwatch at the age of 13 when he witnessed his brother suffer an opioid overdose that almost took his life. Determined to make a change, Steve cold emailed numerous research groups. And when he was in ninth grade, a researcher at the University of Central Florida invited him to join a bioengineering lab. Steve has been working on the project for more than three
0: years now. So this kid's in high school and he works at a bioengineering lab in the University of Central Florida. So he's 17 or 18 and he's been working on this project for three years so really, he was like 14 when he started at this right. bioengineering lab? Talk about like a prodigy. Holy cow. <laughs> Jeez.
1: <laughs> well, it, I, I do wonder exactly what Steve does at this lab, because certainly Steve doesn't have uh, formal education in bioengineering. So is, yeah, is it more of right. kind of like a apprenticeship? He's learning those things now, or is he just a, a collaborator on the project? I'd love to know more about that relationship, but regardless... The idea is a pretty cool one the real question becomes how do you get these sensors in the place that they're needed because in my experience people who are likely to experience an overdose don't want to admit that and and that's a lot of the issue is like oh no i'm fine right oftentimes you may not even know that they're struggling with an addiction And, and so you know if we have a hard enough time convincing people, please just carry naloxone or Narcan so that if your friend has an issue, you can save their life, right? Mm-hmm. That's a hard enough sell. I don't know how we're going to convince people like, hey, you have a problem, admit it and wear this thing. That That's going to be the challenge. It would
0: probably have to be prescribed by their mental health care professional or something like that. Yeah. Where it's like you it's almost like a house arrest. I mean, it could be really helpful for people who have addiction problems, right? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, I'm
1: not denying that. The the issue is going by. to be getting them to wear it.
0: Yeah, right. Of course. But, you know, Steve, man, what a what a it's crazy. He's like he created the silver lining. Obviously something happened really bad in his family that, you know, his brother overdosed. Luckily he survived but barely from the from what the story's saying and you know, he took that and motivated himself to do something pretty incredible. Absolutely. Next up, burritos for healthcare workers. This past week, Chipotle decided to give 250,000 free burritos to nurses, medical providers, and hospital employees as a way to say thank you for all their efforts during the COVID 19 pandemic. The limited time offer was launched as part of a new multi layered program to thank the medical professionals who tirelessly serve on the front lines of the pandemic this past year. So, you know, this this is a little bit of a lighthearted story, but it's kind of just there to exist as, you know, companies are trying or figuring out ways to market themselves and uh use the pandemic as a way to do so.
1: I know Chipotle has been on the forefront of of offering support mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Now, here's the criticism I'm going to make. Okay, okay. Healthcare providers, healthcare and social assistance is the largest employer in the United States, it employs over 20 million people.
0: Right, right, right.
1: So we're, we're talking about 10 percent of people have the opportunity for a free burrito.
0: <laughs> yeah. 10 percent. Yeah. When you put it that way, it doesn't sound as impressive.
1: I, I just, feel just feel say, like they're gonna they're gonna fly they're like, Whoa. <laughs> that's a lot of burritos, but then you're like, mm, that's that's really not that's a drop in the bucket.
0: Mm-hmm. Right
1: now. I appreciate the effort. I think just the thought of hey we appreciate you come get a burrito is is super cool. I just feel like they're going to fly off the shelves and there'll be no burritos left. The, the ones who will be able to go get it are the ones who are able to uh you know work their schedule around. The ones right. who are stuck there
0: for 3 days straight will miss out. <laughs> it would be another thing if they delivered the burritos, which they might. I I think I think there was something about delivering in the in the main article, so That is nice that they're thinking about doing that. Um, But, you know, it's just one of those things. I feel like organizations are just going to continue to market around COVID-19 and acknowledge the fact that it exists and is in our lives for like the next five years. (laughs) Right. I agree.
1: In case you were wondering, the next two largest employers, uh, this may have changed because this was, uh, 2018 is the most recent data. But in 2018, the second Biggest employers was the retail, and then third was accommodation and food service. Right, both of which were probably affected by the the pandemic significantly. So, um, I'm sure that that number may
0: have shifted a little bit. With that, let's go to our next segment. B R E A C H, breach patrol. It's a breach. All of the latest cybersecurity breaches. Welcome to Breach Patrol. we talk about the latest breaches all across the world.
1: First up, booking. Oh No! The Dutch Data Protection Authority recently imposed a $558,000 fine against the hotel website Booking.com for waiting longer than 72 hours to report a data breach that happened in 2019. The attack happened when hackers persuaded hotel staff to reveal their Booking.com account login details the hackers then used these credentials to log into Booking.com and stole information of more than 4,109 Booking.com customers, including names, addresses, phone numbers, and details about their bookings. Also taken was 283 credit card numbers. The problem occurred when Booking.com notified those attacked three days before they notified the Dutch Protection Authority.
0: Yeah, so that's... Uh... A pretty substantial fine, especially considering that they didn't it was for not notifying an agency right. rather than, you know, not having the right uh uh safeguards in place to prevent a breach, they didn't report it fast enough. Which right. is right.
1: The issue is reporting it, not yeah, the breach
0: itself. Which is a new <laughs> thing. And it's not really something there's not really much that booking.com could do to prevent this other than employee training. Right. Because it's a social engineering type attack well, where the hacker's it, like, hey, yeah. You know, give me your, give me your data.
1: like, looks like, oh, like yeah. <laughs> they probably do have some safeguards here, judging by the number of customers affected in what is arguably a very large company who processes way more customers than that. So right. what that suggests to me is that this one login did not have access to just mass data, which mm-hmm. is good. That's the way it should be. They should be limited to only seeing what they need to see in order to do their jobs effectively. Agreed. But this is a good example of like a a really it's a bountiful harvest for phishing attacks because they have phone numbers and names and addresses. So they can call people and say, hey, this is, you know, Bill from booking.com. And uh, I just, you know, we, we realized that we overcharged you on your last order. So if you'll just give me your credit card number, I'll refund it to you.
0: Yep, right, Right. and it's, you know, the hackers that did it are probably like on cloud nine right now because their social engineering attempt to work for Booking.com. Right. So, of course, in their mind, it's gonna work on the customers too, so. Sure, sure. Next up, literal contact tracing. Insight Global, a vendor paid to conduct COVID-19 contact tracing in Pennsylvania, may have compromised the private information of at least 72,000 people, including their exposure status, and their sexual orientation an internal email was sent out within insight global that acknowledged what happened saying employees disregarded security protocols established in the contract and created unauthorized documents i feel like this was something that was like going to happen at some point because of contact tracing was such a new thing and it was implemented so quickly because right. of, that's, the, that's the that's the of the urgency of the pandemic that it's like it's, duh this was going to happen at some point
1: Exactly because we had to cobble together these systems as fast as possible uh, that means there's probably going to be some weak points. Yeah. Obviously there's things we can do but right. and here's one and it's a pretty big one. <laughs> Hopefully all of the other groups that are doing things like this contact contact tracing for example are learning and doing things now to prevent it from happening to them as well. And our final story, please stop tweeting about our breach. Australian security software house Click Studios has told customers not to post emails sent by the company about its data breach, which allowed malicious hackers to push a malicious update to its flagship enterprise password manager, Password State, and used it to steal customers' passwords. Last week, the company told customers to, quote, commence resetting all passwords stored in its flagship password manager after the hackers pushed the malicious update to customers over a 28 hour window between April 20th and 22nd. The malicious update was designed to contact the attacker's servers to retrieve malware designed to steal and send the password manager's contents back to the attackers. In an update on its website, Click Studios said that customers are, quote, requested not to post Click Studios correspondence on social media. The email adds, it is expected that the bad actor is actively monitoring social media looking for information they can use to their advantage for related attacks. I don't really believe that story.
0: (laughs) Yes. Don't post about this
1: because the hacker might see it and hack you more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: I feel like it's more of like a PR stunt. They're like, don't post about this because it gives us bad reputation on the internet, but also we're trying to protect you. So, So it's like a PR, like backwards PR type scheme where they're like, hey, you know, we don't want bad press on us, so don't post about it because Right. please. <laughs> and the thing is with with the internet is anytime you tell the internet not to do something, they're more than likely going to do it because of that yes. reason. Out yep. of spite. Just to be like, "You know what? Dude, it's the internet. Like what what are you going to do?"
1: And they're going <laughs>
0: to they're going to put a
1: caption on it that says something like, "The company wants us to take this down, but we're sharing <laughs> yeah. it anyway." And then everyone's going to share it even more.
0: Yeah. And I don't then know. It's Maybe it's a marketing be, yeah. attempt. It's like that <laughs> image with Beyonce. There was that happened to Beyonce when she was mm-hmm. in the in the halftime show for the Super Bowl where she posts there was an unflattering image or screenshot of her performance, and she requested that it gets uh, removed from the internet, which, you know, of course isn't possible. <laughs> that was like something that we learned in grade school where whatever you post on the internet is pretty much there for forever. Yep. Um, in some capacity. So, you know, even to this day, that was like five years ago. And even to this day, people are still posting that image (laughs) out of spite. So here's why I don't believe it, though,
1: because no other company ever says this ever. (laughs) No other breach that we've looked at over the last year has the company said, don't tell anyone about this. Keep it to yourself. It might be dangerous if you share it. Nobody. Right. If it actually was dangerous, you think at least another company would have warned their customers about this. But but no, this is the only one. <laughs> so I, I don't I don't really believe the story they're laying out and frankly, uh I think I'm gonna go share it. Oh, I'm kidding, I wasn't affected, so I, I don't have any dog in the fight there. But be careful, your password manager is just a, a big list of all the things you don't want stolen. And that's it for this week's wrap-up of your weekly healthcare news. I'm Alex Ross. And I'm Matt Moneypenny. We'll see you next week. thank you for joining us for this week's episode of The Bandage. This week's episode was written and produced by eTactics. eTactics is a leading revenue cycle solutions organization committed to providing innovative web-based solutions that improve our clients' cash management and customer relationships. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.